Now, many of us might have heard um, a guy called Nicky Gumbel, who's uh, very involved with the, the Alpha course, which is an international course, terrifically useful course. And we have used it ourselves as a church in years gone by. Um, and he tells the story of some friends of his who had an au pair. And the au pair, um, they were eating a meal. They had quite young children. The children had already been put to bed, as often happens in Western cultures with young children. They were eating a meal together. And then there was some kind of terrific noise coming from the children's bedrooms upstairs. And the au pair went out into the hallway, and the parents heard her shouting up the stairs, What are you up to on earth? Right. And, and they had a kind of a double take. What do you mean, what are you up to on earth? Because of, if you're a native English speaker, that isn't how you'd say it, is it? You, what would you say? What on earth are you up to? But they found the, what are you up to on earth, quite a telling kind of question, because actually it suddenly becomes much more profound, doesn't it? Yeah, what are you up to on earth? And um, so, uh, you know, and because God, if we believe in a God, we believe he made this whole earth and he made us. And so, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you get people speaking rather snarky of someone else saying, oh, they think they're God's gift. Do you know the truth is, every single one of us is God's gift. Right? And the, 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 the problem with this world is not that we, th we think too much that we're God's gift, it's that we don't realise in what way we are God's gift, and we don't enter into the fullness of that. And as my daughters were growing up, we used to pray with them from time to time and read with them, and we'd often pray with them and, and talk about the fact, you know, God has made you, he's put you on the earth. He has something for you to do. You, 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 you are a gift to somebody in this world. And, uh, and as you grow up, you're going to find what that is more and more and walk in it because that's why you're here. So um, that's really good. Now, it just so happens, and you know, when you've just got the one or two more preachers in a place you've been in 24 years, it becomes harder and harder to work out what to say. Um, <clears throat> But I picked on a passage to speak from. There's some treasures, some old, some treasures new in this. And Pradeep quoted the very passage, okay? So it's the passage where the, John the Baptist addresses his disciples. So if we put the passage up, um, Colin, we'll read this. It's from the beginning of John, John's Gospel, in the back end of chapter 1. So if you're familiar with the Bible... Um, You'll know where that is. If you're not, it's going to come up on the screen. But it's one of the four kind of memoirs of the early disciples of the life of Christ. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a little confusing in this passage because there's two Johns. There's the John who wrote this gospel, and there's the John the Baptist who is featured in the story. So uh, it sort of muddles up the two a bit, but just, just be aware uh, the Bible doesn't kind of edit all those complications out. It just leaves them in there for us to deal with because that was the truth. That was the real situation. So we read in verse 35 of John chapter 1. The next day, John was there again. This is John the Baptist. Was there again with two of his disciples, or which is a posh word for followers. When he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him, John the Baptist, say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what, what, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. 
So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said, who heard what John had said, and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, mean, which when translated is Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Sainsbury's. But Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Sainsbury's? Can anything, sorry, Tesco, I should have said. I rather blew that, didn't I? But you know, there's a tribalism playing out here. You, yep, and you might be tribal about your supermarket. There are other supermarkets, Aldi, Waitrose. <laughs> Nazareth, Tesco, Aldi, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. The, it was a common place to go and pray under a fig tree. Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And he then added, very truly, I tell you, it's you plural here, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful word and all we can learn from it. I believe one of the things we do on a Sunday morning is just to slow down into parts of the Bible. Those of you who read it, some of you perhaps don't read it at all, but we can slow down in it and enjoy it. Jesus, as we learned last week, knew why he was on the earth. Felix was preaching from John 13. He knew where he'd come from, where he was going. He knew what he was up to on the earth. And the question is whether we know what Jesus is up to on the earth. Right? Jesus knows, but do we know? You know, one of the great habits of love is that when we love, when we, a habit of people who are loving is that we think of, a, of what it must be like to be the other person. That's what love involves. It involves us kind of in our heads doing a thought experiment and putting on the shoes of that other person and thinking what it must be like each day to be that person. That's what love involves. It's one of the habits of love. And it's a habit that needs cultivating. And I believe it's a habit we see in Jesus above all and in God our Father. And that's why actually Jesus came to earth, isn't it? But so that he could really walk in our shoes and know what it's really like to be us. That was a great act of love. But we, we can't actually put on other people's shoes, but we can try and imagine it in our head, try and put ourselves in their situation and think counterintuitively what would they, 
what, what if I was in that situation at least, how might I feel, how might I, uh, um, what might I have uh, look at the earth, in, how might I see things. And that is a very important thing to do. But also with that habit of loving and putting ourselves in that other person's shoes is a way of kind of looking at them and having the love and the attention to see that, what, who that person really is, what they are up to in the earth. And John the Baptist had done that with Jesus. John the Baptist had such a call in his life that he was looking for the Messiah, for the Christ. And so he was examining people who came along. I wonder if this is the one. Is this the one? So he had that particular focus. But actually, you know, it's helpful for all of us. It's loving of all of us to look to other people to see how they are a gift to me, how they are a gift in this world, and to help them see that. Because there's nothing so helpful sometimes as being labelled with the gift that you are. Because most of us don't realise what gifts we have because we've got them all the time. So you don't notice them. And I've been so helped by folk in this church who've helped me to identify what I can do and what I can contribute. And I especially think of my dear friend Pradeep here, who has been able to speak to my life and affirm things in me, which has greatly encouraged me, and it reinforces and it strengthens you. And this is, it's a kind of prophetic gift that we can serve one another with, where we can tell one another what we see in one another and that strengthens our hand to flow more freely in being the gift that God has made us to be. We receive gifts from God to use but we actually are a gift as well and it's a very precious thing. And you know I, I've tried to do that myself. I don't know how successfully but you know it was a great, I felt that Felix, is Felix in the room or is he gone? Is he He's just stepped out. You know, I thought, you know, I felt I should ask Felix about preaching. And when I first asked him, he said, oh, I'm not at all. He, he wasn't, he was, he's always warm when you approach him. But he said, no, I don't think that's something I'm capable of or whatever. But I went to ask him again. I left it and then I went again. And he's a submissive man and he will be led. He's a biddable person. So he said, if you say so, I will give it a try right? And I'm so glad, you know. Now, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to stand here and say, God told me. For me, it's quite a mushy thing between what God says and what I'm, I'm thinking. Do you, do, and I need his encouragement, which is why it was great. I was sitting here with this passage, and then you quote the very passage. And I think, okay, thank you, Father, that encourages me. We are encouraged by these things. And don't we just love Felix's preaching? If, you've, if you're not a visitor, excuse us, but... It's fantastic. So we draw one another out in different ways and we bring out uh, the, the, the good of one another. So John the Baptist was a man who with humility saw God's divine design upon Jesus. Jesus looked quite ordinary. He didn't walk around as some of the medieval pictures showed with a halo about a foot above the ground or anything like that. The scripture makes very clear he looked like anybody else. He wasn't particularly handsome or anything. He was just ordinary. But John the Baptist saw something. This is the Lamb of God. And, uh, and that's such an important thing. And it's so, it's so valuable to do it before people die. In this last week, that French police officer, um, Arnaud Beltram, what an amazing act to swap himself in for that, 
female hostage in that situation in that supermarket. And, and obviously not just a sudden impulse, but he planned it. He thought, I'll, I'll put my phone on. He must have put it on silence, I guess. Have my phone, I'll speak, get it sorted, I'll take it in, I'll position it so they outside can hear what's happening in here. What an amazing man. How must that woman feel who was swapped out with him? How must she feel? Put, put, Think, this is the habit of love, isn't it? Put yourself in her mind, how she must feel, how incredible, incredibly thankful, perhaps a little guilty. Survivor's guilt is a common thing. Thinking that would have been me, except for this man. And maybe thinking about his wife and kids. But this is exactly what Jesus did for us. When, when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God. What is the Lamb of God? Well, Arno Beltram gave us an example of being like a Lamb of God, one who dies in the place of another. Isn't that wonderful? At that moment, that man perceived what he should do, and he made a gift of his life. And it's right that that is celebrated. It's an extraordinary thing. So let's encourage one another with developing this habit of love that sees others clearly and, and then is able to call out God's divine design because the greatest gift we can give our world, actually, is to point to Jesus and, and explain, look, the Lamb of God <laughs> and, and the other things we know about Jesus. That is a great gift we can bring to the world. I've done the slides, Colin, so you should just be able to go forwards all the time. So then in verse 38 to 39, we, we find um, this conversation that uh, Pradeep referenced where the disciples, um, uh, they start following Jesus. And he turns around and sees them, saw them following and asks, well, what do you want? <clears throat> and... Um, He, they just wanted to be with him, just like Pradeep was saying, because they saw something, they were helped to see something by John the Baptist, who they'd been following, and they were helped to see the quality of Christ and something of the virtue and value of him, so that they wanted to be with him. And that then starts to infect you with the habit that John the Baptist displayed and that Christ displays of putting yourself in other people's boots and looking at them and looking for what is what how they are God's gift to us and so we begin to be freed from that orphan spirit which focuses on ourselves because when you're an orphan you're feeling lost you're feeling alone you're feeling not provided for and that tends to lock you up with thinking about yourself about your aches and pains your difficulties and it's as you then enter into the fact that um, as Father God wants to make us his sons and daughters like his son Jesus, that they're set free from that orphan spirit and we can be released into that ability to see how others are a gift of God to us and to the world and to accept that we also are a gift of God to the world, but not with pride, but with gladness and a sense of responsibility to bring that gift and to let it play out. I just love the way here John the Baptist 
so freely gives up his followers to follow Jesus. Don't you think that's amazing? That he knew it was his task to attach people to Christ, not to attach people to himself. Yeah? And I hope that in the 24 years I've been here, I have been able to attach people to Christ rather than to me. But I also know, I have to be honest, that lurking somewhere inside me, there's also occasional thoughts like, when I go, I hope they miss me or something. Right? Um, and, um, but but it's, I think it's a funny thing, because loyalty is an important thing as well. But loyalty can be distorted into a false kind of attaching to ourselves. And we don't want that. But, but where you have attaching people to Christ, then we also can be attached to one another. And there can be lots of loyalty and loyalty is a much undervalued virtue. It's a very great thing indeed. And, um, and yet a virtue which our modern world has, um, you know, anyway, I think it's a great, great virtue. And I appreciate the, all the loyalty I've personally received over these many years. So, um, and actually when we attach people to Jesus, we really set them free. Because there's no, nothing so freeing as really to know Jesus. And John the Baptist was willing to do that. Um, but it's interesting how he does it, because uh, back in verse 36, which I think you can move forward in the slide, Colin, thank you. Um, it, it's interesting, isn't it, what John the Baptist says? Because he doesn't say to his disciples, uh, you might have thought he would say, follow that man, wouldn't you? You might have thought he would say that, but he doesn't say that. What he says is, look, the Lamb of God. He invites them themselves to perceive how Jesus is the gift that they are really looking for, that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. And so, um, and that there's a great gift in that. And I think sometimes we feel that the use of our tongues and the use of the prophetic uh, needs to boil down to giving people commands, follow me, repent, have faith, or things like this. And as you'll see later, as you saw when we read the whole passage, Jesus does, he said to Philip, follow me. So Jesus did that sometimes. But sometimes we actually need to announce something. We need to announce, hey, this is how God's working here. This is what God has done. Right, look, the Lamb of God. And the great thing about John's disciples is he trained them so to hear that when they heard that, they did follow. Yes, They didn't need to be told to follow. Having been pointed out, hey, look, here is the one who is the gift of God to mankind, they then followed. And I want to invite you to actually to become capable of, gaining, of hearing God say something and then realizing the implications yourself. Because I think my observation of myself and other people is that we are very thoughtless people. That when you look at the Gospels and how often Jesus would just tell a story... And then when we preach it, we tell the story and we tell people what for, this is what it means for you. We have to, it seems like we cannot make the connection ourselves. We can't assume that. So I just throw that out to you to invite you to be a person who would make the connection for implications without having someone to take your hand and hold you. Yes, with a child, we take their hand and we help them. But the purpose is that they would later on uh, understand the implications once they see and grasp a statement like, look, the Lamb of God. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I read things like what John the Baptist said there, look, the Lamb of God, it almost makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end because I love 
this Christ and for me he's become the Lamb of God and I'm so deeply grateful that he is my Lamb and therefore I don't have to die for my sins and that's wonderful so there is a but it points also and illustrates how we can use our tongues we don't always have to tell people what to do in fact mostly it's not very helpful um, to, to tell people what to do but if you call if you can label for them and name for them how they are a gift then actually that could start to release for them how they would respond and make use of that gift and bring their gift to bear in their world. And I think we can be such a blessing to each other in doing this. And I, I, I have tried to do this myself, and I want to encourage you, so as, as, as my last but one preach here, um, well, unless I get invited back, um, <laughs> the, uh, I'm not angling. <coughs> um, I want to encourage you, see the giftedness in others and, and, and name it. Speak it out over them because it's so, so valuable. And so um, <clears throat> these people, um, they heard John the Baptist name Christ's divine design and then they decided to follow and to get close to this one. They valued what John the Baptist said. Are there people you value what they say? I urge you to think through that, to think of the value of, of people's uh, sayings. You know, never in the world has it been more important for us to do that. The internet is full of many, many voices, but most of them are lying to us. It's so important we determine which voices are to be trusted. And when you find voices to be trusted, to listen specially hard and to take note and to think through what is the implication. I. I urge you to do that as a parting uh, encouragement. So Jesus made such a thing about how we hear. You know, again and again, you know, take care how you hear. He taught about it. <clears throat> and um, John the Baptist is remarkable, wasn't he? Because here was he, he'd had such a role in God's kingdom, and yet he was he'd had first place, and yet he'd known all along that his was to be second place. Uh, and Jesus was to have the first place. But as I think it's Alan Scott says, if you knew what God has in mind for you, you would never be jealous of anyone. So that's such an encouraging thing. So what are you up to on earth? What are you up to on earth? Do you understand how you are a gift and how you can help others find they are a gift? So verse 38, it says, they said, Rabbi, I just want to draw attention to something here. That it's because John, the gospel writer, he put in brackets here, he says, which means teacher. He tells his audience, because they won't all be Jewish, rabbi is a Jewish title, he tells them what it means. And you'll see in this gospel, in fact, in this passage, that happens at least twice more. So in verse 41, he says, uh, again, I think there's a slide, the next slide, he says, we have found the Messiah, brackets, that is the Christ. The Messiah is the Hebrew, Christ is the Greek. So he's translating for his audience. And then later on, uh, verse 42, just the next verse, Jesus speaks to Simon, and this is John's record of it. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, brackets, which when translated is Peter. Three times here we have the Apostle John doing a translation for his audience. Well, why does he do that? And what can we learn from that? It's because he wants people to believe in Christ from reading his gospel. And he wants to get every obstacle out of the way to help people to find the truth. Friends, that is also our job. If we're Christ followers, we are translators. That's what John, the, the gospel writer, was. We also 
are translators. We are people making an explanation. At the end of his gospel, the next slide, Colin, John chapter 20, uh, John the gospel writer says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in, in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was his heart's passion. That was his devotion. And if we care for this world, and surely we should do if we follow the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we should want to give this, to do the explaining as we go. I want to encourage us about that because explanation is inclusive. It says, I care that you actually understand and that you feel involved rather than that I speak in such a way or act in such a way that you are mystified and cannot understand and feel excluded. And so, um, you know, there's, uh, you get a lot of talk these days about mansplaining. Have you heard about mansplaining? So this is, this is how many women report their experience of asking for help from a man. That the man assumes that he's superior to the woman and knows much better, and he starts to mansplain how to do this or to sort this out, which is it's explaining, but with, from a position of superiority and patronizing attitude, that clearly you're an inferior being and I therefore need to uh, tell you how to do this. It's called mansplaining, right? So I'm not asking for mansplaining. We don't take a superior position. Uh, I'm, I'm part of God's club and I need to tell you how to. Um, no, we, come, we, we get alongside people and we say what we've found out. And Women do that as well? Um, I don't know. Men haven't given... Women gave, invented this word, mansplaining, I think. So, uh, Just you know. asking. You know. <coughs> And um, <laughs> do, is, is, you've n- <laughs> we'll let, I'll let you talk about that after. It's one of those things you can just think about, right? So um, uh, it's so valuable for us to do these things. So let, let's let, let's give explanation, and I think it's so valuable to do. And I want to alert us to those things. I really try on a Sunday morning. I try to think, I'm going to, at least part of the time, talk as if my neighbour, who's never come to the church, was here. Yeah? In other words, this is this love thing, the habit of putting yourself in the situation of the other and thinking, what would they find mysterious? What do I need to explain? And I think we need to do, I want to encourage you, please do more explaining. Please include everyone. Let us always conduct the meetings as if there's someone here who's never been before and just needs a little help. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't need a whole load of explaining. But I think it's very valuable to be done. You sometimes, you might have been annoyed with me, but sometimes I'm sitting here on the front row and someone's doing a notice and I'm saying, tell them what it is. Because, because you, it's so easy to stand up and say, oh, you know, I'm standing up here about the um, such and such a ministry or you just use the noun. I'm standing up here to invite people to tell people about GLOW or something. What's GLOW? Tell them. It's our youth work. Right? It just takes a quick phrase. Do you, are, you, are you getting this? Do you understand it? And there are other things. I mean, there are some great songs we sing, but some of them are frankly pretty mysterious or misleading, taken out of context. 
So I love this song, Blessed Be Your Name in the Land That's Plentiful, Where Your Streams of Abundance Flow. If you're familiar with the song, if you're visiting you down but not familiar, do apologise, but I'll keep going with the illustration because it's for your benefit. And um, it's a great song. It's a great song in which we recognise that we have suffering in this life. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're a, a kind of um, given a free pass to live life without suffering. Yeah? So it's a good song. But the, the bridge at the end has these lines, which are taken from Scripture, but I think can be very well misunderstood. It says, you give and take away, you give and take away. Well, I don't know about you, but just taking that face value, that paints me of a picture of God who says, I'm going to give you that child, then that child's going to die, I'm taking it away. Right? I'm going to give you that job, then I'm going to, you're going to be made redundant, I'm taking it away. And for me, that kind of makes me think, mm, that's not sure I'd want to follow this God. It's not painting to me, just those words on their own, out of context. It doesn't paint to me a good God. But I know God is good, and that actually he giveth and giveth and giveth again, and that I've received way more than he's taken off me. Yep. And he doesn't take off me to make me poor. He only takes off me to make me rich, because I'm clinging on to something that's when actually he's got something better. And so I, I love the song, but for me, I, th I kind of... I'd like to skip the bridge, you know, but you can decide what you do in the future. Uh, but, and sometimes people pray out after we sung that song and kind of bring it round sort of thing. Because I feel, and I think, well done you who prayed out to do that, because I think it needs a little bit of explanation or something. But I leave that, you might say, oh, I don't think it does. Well, I leave that with you. I guess giving you an example, but we want to be, we want to love people. So... What do you want? Literally, what are you looking for? Jesus asked them in verse 38. And because he cuts to the chase, what is it you're really looking for? We could be looking for all kinds of things. We might be looking for fame or self-improvement or to sleep better, find security, be popular, blah, blah, blah. What, do, what are you really wanting? But they did want to be with him. What a great choice that was. And um, it's a brave decision always to come to church. Why is it brave to come to church? Well, you're going to find out how Father might want to realign your life, and it could be quite an adventure, how he might want to use you. Today, you might find out you've gone away and you've signed up to be on some team. And you weren't planning that when you came this morning. You were just thinking about the clocks. <laughs> but maybe that's how Father wants you to do. Now, please, don't sign up for something which means you then come off another team, just like that because that won't help the other team. Do you understand? You need to give proper notice when you leave a team and stuff like that, but that's just an aside. So I believe the transforming power of Jesus makes cowards into heroes, doubters into people of conviction, selfish people into servants of the common good. It's wonderful, isn't it, how he has his effect on us. So, so, um, and then, of course, there's a wonderful example here of, G of Andrew, uh, the Apostle Andrew going to find his, uh, his uh, brother, isn't it, Simon? And um, um, <clears throat> um, so uh, I can't remember. Yes, so, so they, they follow. Um, let's find where I am in the notes, look. <laughs> Verse 41, isn't it? So, and so he goes to find his brother, Simon, and he brought him to Jesus. There are three accounts of Andrew going and finding people and bringing them to Jesus. I wish I was more like my namesake, but um, I bless God for the people in the church here who bring people to Jesus. You're wonderful. And the rest of us can follow your example. It is, it's truly brilliant, the people who bring folks along, 
to different events. I love you guys, and it's so important what you do. So let's so encourage those people, those people you know who bring friends along to church. Encourage them by telling them, hey, it's wonderful the way you do that. But also encourage them by getting to their friend and saying hello. Right? Because when they've brought somebody, sometimes we say, oh, look, they brought their friend. It's their responsibility. No, it isn't. It's all of our responsibility. Because we're here in love to welcome everybody here. So put aside your issue that morning. Do you, do you know, when you come to work... You're supposed to go to work to do your job, aren't you? You're not supposed to go to work and um, need help for what's happening at home. Obviously, sometimes you're given compassionate leave, there's stuff, and we can be kind to one another. But actually, when you go to the, your job, your paid job, those of you who have a paid job, you actually have to go there and do your work, yes? Do you know we're part of a family that is on a mission? So we actually have some work to do in the earth to tell people, look, the Lamb of God. So you might be, have some big issues going in your life, but I want to tell you, you can still do the work of pointing people to the Lamb of God. And, and I want to say, I know that you can do that, because in the 32 years I've been in ministry, there have been times when my personal life has had some massive, massive things in it, right? And I have to park those when I come to be amongst God's people. Yeah, there are times when I can seek prayer for them, but there's other times when you park those things and you come to be there for God, to be available to him. And actually, you can, you can grow into that place. That's the life you can grow into as well. And many of you have done, where you can park the issues and come and represent Jesus. You can move in the prophetic. You can be that gift that God has intended to you to be. The difficulties of your life do not cancel, do not disqualify you. Um, and love will move you to set aside your personal suffering, to bring it to God, say, okay, God, I leave that with you, and I want to come and be a comfort to others because you are being a comfort to me. And you do this, and you can do this, and that is good. So Jesus calls out the divine design in Simon, doesn't he? He doesn't, often we think that when we're sharing Christ with people, we've got to tell them, oh, you're very bad because you take drugs or you sleep around or whatever. And Jesus sometimes did that, but mostly he didn't do that. Mostly he, he actually just prophetically names over people what their gift is. He, he comes and says, this is my divine design for you. So that's what he says over Simon Peter. And I want to encourage us all in that, because we, we feel so powerless. And I want to tell you, don't understand the power of your words. Just don't understand how powerful your words are and how you can call people out. They might not even be Christians yet, but you can be naming, you can be seeing something of God's divine design in their life and actually naming it and calling it out of them and, and discipling them before they even know the Lord. So I want to encourage you about that, to do that, because there's something tremendously encouraging when somebody has had the, uh, the, 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 the kind of love to attend to us, to thoughtfully look at our lives and spot these things. And, you know, we love to follow those who can see something valuable in us. <laughs> so what are you up to on earth? What are they up to on earth? You can help them see. So, um, the, the, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14, 13 about prophecy that it's for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So praise God for that. So, and then, you know, you get a chain reaction. Philip found Nathaniel, verse 45, and, uh, and told him we found, and he starts naming who this Christ is. Says we found the Messiah, right? 
um, the one Moses wrote about. So he's also pointing to Christ, naming who Christ is. And then, um, and then he also is inviting someone along. And, and then, of course, when Nathaniel comes, who's called Bartholomew in some of the other Gospels, um, you know, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree and, um, uh, and, and all that conversation. Again, Jesus is naming the kind of person he is. So you're without deceit, right? a person without deceit. He's seeing the quality in him. We all know that we actually are sinners and we need rescuing, but that wasn't what Jesus focused on. He's so kind and he's so gracious. So we must move uh, to, to wrapping up. But, um, you know, the, it's so good. Honour is the choice to magnify another person's worth above their weakness, and it attracts the glory of God. Jesus went round honouring people, finding the gold in them, rather than looking at all the rubble that was uh, needed to putting to one side. And so he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. He then is able to see the gift of God to him that is in Christ. So, um, and just as we come to the end then, verse 51, and Jesus then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this is a quote from an episode in the book of Genesis with a famous character called um, Jacob. And Jacob was uh, fighting with God. Who quite a wrestler, he, his name means twister or something like that. He was quite a manipulative character. He kept trying to manipulate God. And then one day he's sleeping. He's on this journey. He's running away. There's a lot of complication to it. He sleeps, settles down somewhere to sleep in the open air. And during the night he has a dream of a ladder between heaven and earth and the angels going up and down it. And he called that place Bethel, which means house of God because he thought, wow, this is a special place where heaven touches earth. And in this passage, Jesus is finishing by really reminding us actually what the purpose of him being the Lamb of God is, what he's up to in the earth. What he's up to in the earth is, is reconnecting heaven and earth. And he's saying, I am the place where the angels, I, I am the Bethel of God, I am the house of God, I am the connection point between heaven and earth. So if you know me, you've got into the connection and then you can bring others into that connection. And so this is it's powerful, but it's in Old Testament language, actually, to just need some explanation. And so how wonderful that, um, that we have such a saviour who knows what he's up to in the earth and has invited us in on the adventure. Do you, do you want to... Um, I just want to invite you to stand up and... I want you to think about the habits of love. How might you encourage yourself or, or um, bring in a greater discipline of observing those habits of love, which uh, involve spending some time. You know, grab some time when you're driving somewhere in the car or maybe you're waiting at the bus stop. We so fill our lives with, you know, the other day I was going to pray and I can be distracted sometimes when I'm praying because the thought of something I must do comes to my mind and then I'm distracted. And the way to deal with the distraction is quickly to jot down that thing and then I know, okay, I've captured it now. I can put that paper to one side and I can continue in prayer. The trouble is now, because I use an app on my phone to capture those things, I found like I was taking a phone into my praying. 
And the trouble is, although I hope it's on silence, if some email or something comes in, it, put, it lights up and then, oh, what, what's that? And I, and, and I just, I was going to prayer, grab, oh, must grab my phone, and I felt, I don't know, is it the Holy Spirit or just a conscience? I just thought, you know, am I more committed to the presence of my phone than the presence of God? Leave your phone outside. Take a pen and paper so I can still capture, but leave the phone outside. Right? And sometimes we just, we're so, we're so welded to the phone or whatever it is, we don't have time to love people. Not when you're with them, but when you're apart from them, but thinking, what would it be like in their shoes? Right? So, Father, I want to bless any of you here just right now. If you think, yeah, I want to sign up to that. I want to, I want to love people just a little bit better, a little bit more like my lovely Heavenly Father who thinks of us. He has many thoughts about you. Because love starts with your thoughts about those other people. Just, give, just say, yeah, I'm going to do that more. Think, maybe think, make a plan how you do that. And then I want to encourage you that you would speak out good words over your children, your spouse, over one another. Just do what Jesus did. He just loved to name how this is how you're a gift. Be specific. Don't start flattering people. Be really specific, as, as specific as you can be. And you will bless and release people to be the gift of God that he intended them to be. And we will grow, multiply in the impact we have as a community. Because it all flows out of you, you, all of us finding what gift we are to people. And enacting that gift. Being that gift. It's such a privilege to have been part of this for the last 24 years. And I know such blessing lies ahead. I believe increased blessing, actually. Mm.